Hello and welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie. I'm joined today by author and playwright Robert Murray, who's the author of The Spirit of Robbie Burns, a play which, in three acts, takes us through the life of Scotland's favourite national bard. So, Robbie, can you tell us something about the formative years of this play? Interesting question, Tom. I was in England at the time when this started. I, um, I was part of a drama group in Ilfracombe in North Devon. And traditionally, January was a month when there were no productions. There was a bit of a rest period. And uh, sometimes a member of the group would uh, initiate some, some form of entertainment. Nothing seemed to be forthcoming on a particular year. When I had been working and writing away uh, what I thought would be a play, I thought I would write a, at one time a three-act play for, for the stage. Uh, I realised with so many characters it would be quite an immense task, but I started writing uh, something which would have involved perhaps just a limited number of characters. So I'd worked on that and I had the idea that I perhaps could use this in this January period. And I realised in England there may not be a huge amount of interest. So I somehow managed to get a little piece put in the, the drama group newsletter saying what I was doing and would this be suitable for, for January. Uh, but I would need some help. I may need four or five characters to help me in the production. Astonishingly, <laughs> I had a huge response and, and eventually I had to invent little tasks for people. So I found a cast. Uh, luckily, of course, we had some singers and I had a pianist and the, the play was put on more or less in the form as it is today and um, it was put on on a small stage in a hotel. It, beca- it became such an, uh, an interesting concept for all the English people there that I decided to introduce a fairly basic burn supper and uh, again uh, people were clamouring for parts being a drama group you can imagine so so the, the people were clamouring for parts and I had the president uh, addressing the haggis and I had various people uh, all seeking various parts to do to be short although I say it myself it was an overwhelming and surprising uh, result. Now Burns is not only one of the most famous figures in Scottish literature, he's also one of the most complex. How did you feel about reflecting the many different aspects of Burns's character? I think when uh, when one reads the whole story A to Z of Burns's life you get this immediate impression of a man of many parts himself, a man who from humble beginnings, was obviously born a genius. and But a, not only a genius could be a genius, but this man, Robert Burns, had a connection with the people in his, in his uh, part of the world, in the farming community especially. And I know that later in the play, when, when Burns goes to Edinburgh, he is uh, devoid of his connection with the countryside and the people and the people in the inns of Mochlin and around Ayrshire and uh, it, it, one can pick up the fact that he uh, was very much aware that he'd lost that connection and he feared for himself began to realise I think that uh, his lifeblood his uh, uh, connection with the land and the people 
was the very lifeblood of his uh, productions and his works. So there were, that was that was the base. But he, of course, embraced the life in Edinburgh when he was celebrated as an author and had his first publications, the Kilmarnock edition. Uh, he had a great connection with high and low people. He was obviously a man who was able to respect everybody he met and had a communication link with everyone. He was not a high-handed, difficult person. He wouldn't have been, in fact, so successful had he been so, because his ease of communication at all levels, I think, was the, the root cause of his ability to reflect lives and, and uh, aspects of, of uh, day-to-day life. So I think, yes, uh, a complex man, but funnily enough, simplistic as well at the same time, a strange blend of both. And it's often said that you can tell almost everything about someone by the friends that they have, and Burns was someone for whom friendship meant a great deal. That's right. Friends of... His friends were high and low. He would be equally happy uh, having a friendship in his, his the local worthies. He even would have uh, a relationship with the personalities of the Kirk, <laughs> where he had so much uh, uh, disregard for the way the church was operating with the the high Kirk and the low Kirk, the, the new licks and the old licks. And um, despite that, he would have had a communicating ability with all of these characters. Uh, I don't know if he would call them friends, but strangely enough, uh, his connection with people at all levels uh, was, was part of his genius. And on the subject of his genius, uh, would you think it would be fair to say that Burns revolutionised how people looked at Scottish poetry? I'm not an expert enough to say uh, much on that, Tom, but what he did, and the clamour for his works, was immediate. There was a dearth of uh, written material that the population at large could identify with. I think that's the key note. Whether he, whether he saw it in today's parlance, did he see a marketing opportunity? I don't think necessarily that he would. He probably had an inner drive where he was fired up by the actions of uh, royalty, the actions of the Kirk, the actions of uh, the, the forces at work in the community which seemed to be uh, difficult for the, for the plain and simple man to cope with. He saw the man in the street as being oppressed to some extent. So I don't think he was seeing a marketing opportunity. What he probably wanted to do was to make the voice be heard. And he was a very early pioneer of social justice. He was someone who really seemed to uh, find his political voice quite early. Exactly. He Fairness. Uh, I, I, I'm a Libran myself. <laughs> I, I look for justice and fairness in life as well. Uh, Burns, uh, I think, had that same feeling. I think he, he was on the side of the plain and simple man. He saw the wrongs in society and in his own way found ways of uh, attempting to right these. And one of the things that your play reflects well is the effect that success has on Burns when he realises that there is an audience for his work. Yes, he's he's, uh, immediately uh, galvanised. He took a long time to 
settled down to write, you've got to remember, of course, he, he was working a hard life on the land. He would want to and needed to socialise. We all know he had a tough life. Um, it took a long time for him to settle down. Of course, he had these bouts uh, of melancholy, as he called it. Depression, perhaps, today. Who knows? Today he might be uh, on a medication for some, <laughs> probably unnecessarily, but it's a strange thing that in those days he lived with his melancholy, as he called it. And that would be pressure. I think that would be an inner pressure that he wanted so much to do. He did have ambitions to be a voice for Scotland. He wanted to spread the word. He wanted to be listened. And I suppose, in a sense, as any actor or uh, uh, someone on film and TV screens today, they they want they want a message. They want to present something about themselves, uh, wittingly or unwittingly. And Burns, I think, probably uh, sensed. He sensed in his own lifestyle and his own heart that he was the man to do this. And do you feel, in a sense, his work was a kind of therapy for that melancholy that he suffered through his life? I think so. I think that would be uh, an outlet. So he was able to reflect his love of life, love of people, love of nature, uh, everything, in fact, in the world. He, he, he could see the good, and yet he didn't approach it from a, a holy point of view. He wasn't particularly religious in that sense, was he? He, he, uh, he reflected the reality of nature and everything around him. That's what he did. He wanted to find ways of expressing uh, the beauty of nature and, and, if I use the phrase, the beauty of people, just simply uh, the human humankind. And he saw the good and bad and the difficult and the, the glorious in the humankind. And it's interesting you should mention the religious aspect of Burns because although he often and quite vociferously attacked what he perceived as the hypocrisy of organised religion. He never really uh, attacked religion itself, the, the, the faith aspects of spirituality. But when it came to politics, he wasn't quite so kind to the people he was targeting, was he? No. he. Uh, I think he, he would see through hypocrisy, he would see through uh, vanity, pomposity and all that. He would see through that. Perhaps he would see that uh, in various measures. Perhaps uh, it's a, uh, a parallel with today. People may see that, and uh, many people do. And I think Burns would see that. And he would see the high lifestyle of, of uh, the monarchy uh, for what it was. The Hanoverian, of course, was a, a, an added influence that perhaps uh, uh, drove that forward for him. But yes, Tom, I think what you're saying there is that the argument with the church were with the intransigent, difficult uh, people on the local scene, how it was being interpreted, and how the church, given that it was so much involved in looking after the, the, uh, the, the good of people and mankind around them, actually seemed to be doing the opposite. And I think that, that would be the line that Burns was approaching. And it is an interesting point because it's often been noted, um, particularly by literary scholars, that Burns was someone who was quite ahead of his time. Um, he almost seems like a, a kind of modern figure, even in a historical setting. Yes. I suppose today, if someone has real quality, real style, real 
uh, talent and genius, let's say, of, of the form that Burns had. If that was around us today, we would probably see such figures in well-documented film, well-documented uh, plays, uh, highlighted on television, highlighted in the newspapers, a voice, a voice of common sense, a voice of uh, love and reason. Uh, we don't see that particularly today. I don't think anyone today would have uh, all of the, the talents that Burns had. But he didn't set out to be such a character, I think. In fact, by the time he passed away, Scotland didn't actually even at that point realise the genius they had right, right up until the end. He'd gone and he, was, he, was, he had passed away before the realisation had crept in of what Burns had actually been. So he didn't try to put a stamp on his own personality as a, a Hollywood star or any highfalutin kind of figure in society. Uh, that's for me the interesting thing about Burns. That's the complex part of Burns, isn't it? That um, he was such a genius that he probably, as they say, didn't know he was a genius. And if he were around today, do you think he would be a, a screenwriter or a podcaster or perhaps even be in the Scottish Parliament? I think he'd certainly be looking for the um, the ills in society. I think he'd be on the side of the poverty, he'd be on the side of the uh, the downward uh, poverty-stricken people with no voice. And he would be, I think he'd be uh, on the side of uh, a socialist aspect of politics, without doubt. Mm. And he would be vociferous, he would be probably highly, highly thought of, but as we know today, politics is a pretty murky business, I'm sure, and um, <laughs> one would have to wonder how long he would want to uh, take part in that. Uh, that's an interesting question. Would he want to fight on to the bitter end for a cause in a political world? I think he'd be very happy doing it in the way that he did do it. But I don't know. It's an interesting point. Would he? Would he want to battle his head against the brick wall in the politics of today and the, uh, all the ramifications that go on in politics? I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I don't have the answer. <laughs> well, another aspect of Burns' life that comes out in your play is his very complicated love life. And I think it's fair to say that he was somebody who had no shortage of complications when it came to romance. To the lassies. Uh, you see, I have another thing about this. I know there's a lot of people uh, have no high regard for Burns because there's a lot of views that he uh, was rather uh, able to wander around the world and have all his uh, romantic moments and uh, no doubt uh, babies appeared, as we know, all over the place. But if I go back to the point earlier that Burns was uh, driven as a writer, he wanted to be a writer, he wanted to be a voice in Scotland. He suffered these melancholy moments. I don't think that there was anything wrong, and I may be biased of course, but what was wrong by seeking some kind of comfort in the arms of a bonnie lassie? If he was hard working, tying himself in knots to find the right words and to explain, uh, express himself and write as he did, no mean feast, and he would be driven into seeking some kind of 
acceptance and uh, love and the charms of a lady, I'm sure. I don't think it was necessarily done uh, in his life as a disregard for women. That's far from the case. In fact, there's no evidence there was anything apart from Jean Armour's father and Alison Begbie's father who were pretty upset at the time and despite uh, the love that uh, Burns had uh, there was no there's no uh, nastiness there's no sense that Burns was being chased around the countryside by uh, by the people in the church or the fathers of Bonnie Lassies there was no sense of that uh, I think if he, he, he needed the company and uh, that's the way it worked out and although nowadays we take for granted the towering reputation that Burns enjoys, I think it's important to remember, and it's something that, that is mentioned in your, your play, uh, the fact that he was a very popular character at the time. He was somebody who was held in very high regard by the good and the great, particularly in Edinburgh. He was, he was held in high regard by, by everyone he came in contact with. I think he had a nasty moment with Mr Creech in Edinburgh, who... Mr. Creech, uh, for his own ends, had his own uh, his own agenda. That upset Burns. He liked. He wanted to see, as we said earlier, fairness and uh, honesty and uh, uh, justice in the world. Mr. Creech didn't come into that category, but um, Burns would have, I think, uh, a good communication uh, ability to get on with everyone, without, in any shape or form, having leaving a, a nasty taste and having uh, arguments left behind him wherever he went. I don't think so. And one final question. If anyone who attends your play or who reads the, the script of your play were to come away with one prevailing message about Robert Burns and his life, what would you like that message to be? Bring back another Robert Burns. <laughs> 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 I think that's about the way I could sum it up, uh, Tom. Uh, I think they'd be left with the realisation that uh, where did this man come from? How did he get there? What drove him on? Uh, was it the uh, the environment? Was it his uh, uh, attributes that he was born with? Whatever it was, he was a genius and he was the receptacle of uh, that genius and he did all of these things. I think people just say we haven't, we've never seen a Robert Burns again. And I would think if you come away from a play and uh, hear all of that, that's the big realisation, that uh, he was a larger-than-life character. That's, I think, what people would walk away from watching the play would think. Well, Robbie, thank you very much for having joined us today and sharing your thoughts about Robert Burns, one of Scotland's great Renaissance men. Um, your play certainly discusses a very great deal about Burns and not only his life but also the world that he lived in um, and I for one think it does a very good job of explaining not only the things that differentiate us from that historical setting but also the many universal qualities that are still relevant today. Thank you very much Tom, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh, uh, I'm not an expert on Burns, I'm an enthusiast of Burns, I'm not by any means an expert on Burns but uh, ever since my very, very early days at school, I somehow had a rapport with Burns. Uh, we, we, we wrote his poems. We had to uh, punctuate everything perfectly, commas, exclamation marks, everything. We had to 
learn every single aspect of a of a of a story or or poem. And uh, for me, luckily enough, my grandparents had a little croft, and uh, I look back now and think that was a large part of where I understood Burns because on my granny and granddad's croft I could see the parallels with Burns and although I'm talking about the 1950s I think little had changed in the lifestyle and the, and the simple life in the 1950s even compared to Burns time so I think when I read Burns and heard all about Robert Burns as a schoolboy I had an immediate rapport because of that connection well, Robbie, thank you so much. It's been really interesting to hear so much about Burns and what it is about his life that has motivated you uh, to write this play. And if you at home would like to get a copy of The Spirit of Robbie Burns, it's available to buy from all good independent retailers and online booksellers worldwide. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.